Previously on The Winner's Club. All I hear from Shime and John is ripping Mutt's inabilities as a gambler. The first leg of that race is race number seven. It's the winning color stakes, named after winning colors who won the Derby as a filly. We all know that. It's a grade three race worth $100,000. The eight horses, the favorite, Mia Mischief. Four to one shot in the morning line, Shime. So a $2 bet brings you almost $10 back for a $2 win bet. The horse's name is Bo Recall. Not Total Recall the movie. He's lying. Bo Recall. Hansel is so hot right now. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm a moron. Well, here we go. Horse players, uh, we like routine. We like things set in a certain way, races on certain days. The calendar sort of mirrors the stake schedule in this this country and uh, the stake schedule in racing. So the Triple Crown means springtime. We get the Derby, get the Preakness, get the Belmont. Uh, But much like 2020, this will not be a fast and firm Triple Crown. Uh, We get the Triple Crown starting this Saturday with the Belmont Stakes. Uh, and we're going to do it here on the Winners Club podcast. No Shime, no Anderson. Did a great job with the Open Boys. Thank you. They'll be back here at some point as we get this podcast uh, relaunched as uh, sports start to come back. But today we're going to focus in on the Belmont Stakes, and we'll do so with some great guests here in the next uh, 40 minutes or so. It's the 152nd running of the Belmont Stakes, first time ever. It's run before the Derby and the Preakness. The Derby's going to be run in uh, September this year, Preakness in October. No fans in attendance. And now we're running at the not-so-classic distance of a mile and an eighth. Normally, the test of champions, they go a mile and a half. We're cutting back to a mile and an eighth. So it's, it's, it's Belmont name only, folks. Okay, this is the, this is the Peter Pan, the varsity Peter Pan. Uh, it's a mile and an eighth. It's a different race, and you don't handicap it like you would. There are horses uh, out there that would be fit for a mile and a half. This mile and an eighth makes it a lot easier for horses to race and, and actually perform well in it which is a reason why you get a horse like Tis the Law as a huge, huge favorite. They don't do this very often at Belmont. This is the first mile and eighth race this year uh, at Big Sandy. And the huge favorite, again, Tis the Law for Barkley Tag. Uh, as good of a three-year-old that's been out there. He's been good since he debuted last summer at Saratoga. He will be the horse to beat. He's 6-5 to five in the morning line. I'll not be surprised if he is uh, you know, closer to even money by the time it uh, gets to post time. It's Saturday at about 5.40 or so. The question becomes, what do you want to do? And this is... One of the great parts about racing, you get to make a decision. You get to look through the horses and say, well, I like this horse, but do I like that price? And you may like Tis the Law, and the good part about horse racing is that even if you like a favorite, there are still other ways to make money, whether it's a daily double, like somebody in the race before, the pick three, the pick four. There's a guaranteed payout, mandatory pick five payout in this pick five. You could build, you could take the money you were going to uh, get put on Tis the Law to win, single them at the back end of a pick five, and just build a ticket from there and maybe make some more money than you would just betting 6-5 to five on Tis the Law to win. So I, on, on paper, if he runs his race, he's not going to lose. The question is, how do you want to play it, and do you want to go against him? That's how we get the experts in here. You know, I, I am a weekend handicapper, enthusiastic about this stuff. I love talking about it, but I'm certainly not the expert the guys coming on today are. And we'll be joined by our guy Matt Bernier, NBC Sports, uh, horsepicks.com. Uh, he will join us first up on the race and some other racing issues. Dick Girardi, our longtime guest on this podcast as well, and well over 10 years doing this podcast, I can tell you for sure, Dick has the best ROI. We'll also talk to him about his Breeders' Cup uh, score, BCBC. It's a great live money tournament. He won over $100,000 last November. He's a great handicapper. He will join us. And look, along the way, I get a lot of crap from people like Ken Laird and others about bit loser fest this pod, loser, loser. Well, the last time we did this in Triple Crown, Last year for the Belmont Stakes, it was a mile and a half, we gave you Sir Winston. We showed up at Kentucky Derby uh, Belmont Day at Mohegan Sun and told the ballroom there, Sir Winston's the play. He won at 10 to 1. He paid almost 22 bucks. 
So occasionally we find ourselves, like a, a squirrel finds a nut, occasionally we land on a winner. So don't be listening to Ken Laird and these jerks. We, we put the work in. I'm not sure there's Sir Winston in this field, but we'll try to get it done, and we'll do it with some great guests. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to Matt. We'll talk to Dick. Some final thoughts as well. Uh, good luck on Saturday. It's the Winners Club, Belmont Stakes Edition. And to get us started for a very, very, very unique Belmont Stakes, our buddy Matt Bernier, of course, NBC Sports, the Matt Bernier Show on podcast and on YouTube, and, of course, RacingPicks.com as we get set for uh, yeah, an interesting Belmont. Matt, happy Belmont, I guess, or happy kick off the Triple Crown. How, how are we supposed to say this? What's the, what's, what's the play? Happy sort of Belmont because it's yeah. what, you know, call it three quarters of what the Belmont normally is, something along those lines. I mean, it, it's like you say, I mean, everything is just turned on its head right now, so I'm not going to complain too, too much about it. To me, it doesn't feel like the Belmont Stakes. I look at the Belmont, it's a mile and a half, it's the test of the champion, and this is, I mean, is it is it callous to say that this is the Peter Pan on steroids? Like, yeah. I just, I, I, it's no, a it's, mile and an eighth, it's, it's one turn, it's, you know, it's a fine race. Uh, we got to start somewhere, but it's, it, you know, it definitely loses a little bit of the luster, doesn't it's, it? It's the varsity Peter Pan. I mean, it's it's yeah. a, it's the Peter Pan if you if it wasn't, and for those who don't know, the Peter Pan's a mile and an eighth race for three-year-olds. It is like the second, like the JV, like the, the, the JV horses run in that race, like Global Campaign won it a year ago. Uh, Sir Winston came flying late. He went on to win the Belmont. It's a kind of prep for the Belmont, but it's also kind of a, these horses aren't quite there yet. And the only difference is, you know, it's the same distance, a mile and an eighth. You have a potential superstar horse in Tis Law. I mean, that's what makes it different to me. And we'll get to the race in a second. I'll ask you, Matt, do you think Naira did the right thing in how they put this thing together? Well, you know, they were kind of in a difficult position. And, and you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record when I say everyone was in a difficult position as far as the trainers are concerned, the jurisdictions that were racing are concerned. You know, the Santa Anita Derby was just run two weeks ago. You lost a number of horses that potentially could have run in a race like the Belmont, but for being honest, as much as I love the Belmont at 12 furlongs and feel like that's what it should be at a mile and a half, in all reality, none of these horses have had any sort of foundation leading up to it. So to just throw them into the deep end and say, mile and a half, good luck, who knows what that does to the horses going forward. So I think everyone's trying to make the best of a less than stellar situation as everyone has with everything involved with COVID-19. It's just been one of those things where you, you try to turn lemons into lemonade and hope for the best. And, you know, this may not be the, the sexiest field on paper, but you brought it up. Tis the law is a legitimately top level racehorse. And even before the sort of sidelining of a couple of Bob Baffert horses on the West coast, there's a real case to be made that Tis the law was the best three-year-old in the country. And luckily we'll get to see him on Saturday. Yeah. If the options were hold this thing sometime like late October, prior to the breeders cup, you get no horses there for that. Cause they're going to the Breeders' Cup, and when Preakness backed up before the Derby, they were you know, rocking a hard place. So uh, the, the criticism on social media, I thought, has been unfair uh, of the way the fields came up and, and given the fact that they this was sort of, as you said, a COVID-19 kickoff to a triple crown. And so I, I don't give uh, you know, a lot of uh, negativity Naira's way. They put it together. They're hoping July 4th card in a week from now, whatever it's going to be, will be good as well. The Met Mile and the Manhattan moved off there. So we get a couple of big racing days, and we get – the first three-year-old race of the Triple Crown, and it will start at a mile and an eighth and beautiful Belmont Park. And as you said, tis the law, is the eight horse, six to five. And just on paper, like you hear it, it's repetitive, horse to beat. I mean, there's nothing else to say about tis the law. He's fast enough, he's good enough, and if he runs this race, he probably wins. 
Yeah, and like you said, from a gambling perspective, you know, if you're just looking at it from a win standpoint, he's not going to offer much as far as value is concerned. But he's just an exciting racehorse to to think about what potentially could be, you know, over the course of the summer and into the uh, early fall. Because what he's done through five lifetime starts, he's basically blemish free. I understand he's not a perfect five for five, but his narrow defeat down at Churchill Downs in November of last year, that was on a sloppy track, maybe a little bit of a less than stellar trip. And his two runs down at Gulfstream Park, I thought both of them were spectacular. The Florida Derby, he just buried the field, looked looked like a class racehorse, given that it was only his fifth lifetime start, his second start off of a lengthy layoff. And I have to be honest, the race that I was most taken by that he's run throughout his career was the Holy Bowl two starts back, because not only did he beat a decent field, we know at the Indian, okay, maybe he kind of flopped last week when they ran down at Gulfstream, but the fact that Tisdalaw was in a difficult position down the backside, Manny Franco alters him out and uses a little bit of horse, and he came right back to hand for Manny. And for an inexperienced young horse to be able to do that on command, to me that just speaks volumes to the mind that this horse has. And he goes out for, for a, a tremendous trainer in Barkley Tag. He's been around for a while. He knows how to handle good horses and keep them good for a lengthy period of time. And Again, I'm, I'm sure this isn't how anyone envisioned their horse coming into the Belmont Stakes and the circumstances, but I think you do have to look at it and say, if he goes and does what we all think he's going to do or is very well capable of doing, uh, you got to be thinking at least that this is a horse not only to be considered for a race like the Kentucky Derby, but you know the older horses in general right now are kind of topsy-turvy. Yeah. There aren't any superstars out there. If he continues on this sort of path and this trajectory and again maybe we're putting the uh, horse before the cart but i mean he's got to be viewed as a horse that that's a major player for a race at the breeders cup classic and we'll get some other three-year-olds i know you keep track of them and i'm curious what you think about the rest of the year but you know to that end it's it's a weird look you, the ownership the sakatoga group that own funny side can't be there they're going to be up at pinnell's in saratoga watching the race at that great uh, steakhouse and restaurant and you know if he runs his race he wins my major question matt about the race is can he run his race given the amount of at least speed is in here that I see on paper because tap it to win. Uh, the one horse wants to go to the front. That's his strength. Uh, you have a horse in four left who's getting in here who uh, has, to, has to go, absolutely, is going to go to the front in this race. You've got uh, Pneumonic from the outside. Uh, Pneumatic wants to go uh, from the 10-post position, which for uh, at Belmont going that first that straightaway into that one turn, you have to go and get clear from there and not get hung wide. It feels on paper – there's a good amount of pace. How do you view how quick this thing will go? And do you think mile and eighth races at Belmont tend to be faster because of that long straightaway before the turn? Well, you know, before the the entry of uh, four left, I was a little bit concerned, or not maybe concerned, not the, not the right way to put it, at least cognizant of the fact that a horse like Tappet to win, who aired about two weeks ago yeah. at Belmont awesome. against a group of non-winners of one other than horses, but they're nice horses. That's a race that could be very, very critical going forward over the course of this three-year-old campaign. You know, without a horse like four left in this race, Taft to win could have just gone right to the front and done what he did in that run on June 4th. I still think he's a legitimate threat to potentially wire this field, but to your point, he's going to need to work a lot harder with four left, who I believe there's one way for him to go. I don't think he's good enough to win, but he could be a flying ointment for a horse like Tappet to win. And as far as Pneumatic is concerned, I'm actually quite high on the horse. I think he's very, very talented. I don't think his running style, or his preferred running style anyway, is to be up there pushing the pace. Uh, he did that in that Matt win most recently. You know, I don't want to hold it against him. He ran just fine that day, but I think he is a little bit better coming from slightly off of it. So 
I, either way, however you want to kind of shake it down, I look at it and say if Tap is a win and four left go, tis the lost box three wide in the clear, and Manny Franco has every chance to just let him run whenever he's ready to go. And I put it this way, I don't think trip or pace will be the reason that Tis the Law loses. I think if Tis the Law loses, it's because either A, he wasn't feeling great, and whatever reason, he didn't bring his A game, or B, somebody jumped up in a big way. All right, you mentioned uh, Tap to win, maybe jumping up in a big way, and he ran huge last time. I thought two back. They cut him back to a sprint. Okay, he'll stay a sprinter. They got it right. Nope, they're going back long with him, and he's shown an ability on the front end. He's certainly maybe a potential uh, you know, player in this race. How about the Todd Pletchers here in Dr. Post and Farmington Road? Farmington rode a horse that uh, was right there on your list last time we talked, way back when. We didn't know when the Derby was going to be, but you had him at least involved with Governor Morse, who will point to the bluegrass in a couple of weeks. And Dr. Post, who uh, I thought in the unbridled got a really good education, tight between horses, a little bit of traffic, swung out, and just was, uh, I, I thought, looked effortless in the lane. Of the Pletchers, which one most likely to pull the upset in the Belmont Stakes? Well, if we're just looking at it from an upset standpoint, I think it's more likely that a horse like Dr. Post is the one to sort of upset the apple cart just because he's lightly raced. You brought it up. I thought it was an educational run in that unbridled. Visually, I, I was I was unimpressed with the race as a whole, and you've had three horses exit to earn high to mid-80 buyers. You know, frankly, that's not going to be fast enough to win in a spot like this, but the idea for a horse like Dr. Post, if you like him, it's the idea that he's going to take a step forward here on Saturday Having said that, I prefer Farmington Road of the hmm. two simply because I don't think he's good enough necessarily to win right now, but he's the sort of horse that, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. He's a bit of a stayer. He's a plotter. He doesn't yeah. have a lot of early speed, but the distance is not going to be the thing that beats him. And if you get some of these other horses, whether it is a tap at the win, we've already brought up four left. If Pneumatic is involved potentially early, uh, if Dr. Post is a little bit closer to the front end, Modernist probably won't be far off of it. If this thing starts to fall apart a little bit at the end, a horse like Farmington Road is one I could see sucking up and getting a couple of little pieces, minor awards. So that was, that would be the way that I would play it if I absolutely had to. I would probably be looking at some sort of a cold exact, a 8-5 with Tis the Law over Farmington Road. But having said that, you know, a horse like Farmington Road and a horse like Modernist, I would have liked them a heck of a lot more at 12 furlongs yeah. than I do with this 9 furlong race. I feel like the 9 furlongs plays more to the advantage of the horses that are a little bit more brilliant that have a little bit more of that flash and flair, the tap it to win, the tis the laws of the world, as opposed to the modernists and the Farmington Roads, who I think they are talented racehorses, but they're not going to blow anyone away visually. They're going to go out there and just kind of go about their business. And, and I don't want to call them grinders, but they're grinders. That's more or less what they are. And I think that is a, a running style or a, a sort of trait that is more is more conducive to longer distance racing than the shorter distance. What I wanted to do was just say, you know, I'm going to build my tickets and just toss uh, Sole Volante. Uh, and then I started looking at the PPs again, and I, I thought, okay, he got an awesome set. In the, in the Ete Indian race, he got an awesome setup, I thought. And then you look back, okay, he was right there with King Guillermo. Uh, you know, couldn't quite get there in the Tampa Bay Derby. Won the Sam F. Davis, got a decent setup there. You know, third in the Mucho Macho, man, a couple of good horses, we think, and chance at Nessine on TV. Back-to-back wins to start on the turf. What are you doing with him? Because I—, I I hate the price. Like I, I couldn't imagine betting a nickel at nine to two on a horse that, up until two weeks ago, you know, I thought had no shot in a triple crown race this year. I'll be very surprised, and I, I think David Aragona does a really strong job as far as the morning line is concerned. I'll be very surprised if Sol Volante is the second choice. Uh, I can't imagine it not being tapped to win. You know, again, crazier things have happened. Sol Volante, though, I do think he's a horse that probably. 
you know, he's been bet in each of his past couple races, but I, I think the fact that he was able to rally the way that he did at Gulfstream Park, a one-turn mile, that's not an easy that's not an easy position, and I get it. They went a reasonably quick pace early on, and, and Ete Indian was a bit of a no-show in there, his, uh, his stable mate. But, you know, he's a horse that is at least continuing to trend the right direction, and he's never run a bad race in six starts. He's got a couple of wins on grass. I'm more concerned. I, look, from a value standpoint, if I want a horse coming from the back of the pack or from, coming from off of it, I just happen to be more interested in a horse like Farmington Road because he's probably going to be two and a half, three times the price of Sola Volante. And I don't know that necessarily from a running style standpoint in a race like this that I that I need to be taking a shorter price or take a haircut on the horse that I'm going to use underneath because in all reality, even if Sola Volante goes off as the third choice, you know, what are we really looking at there as far as an exact is concerned with, with a horse like Tiz the Law on yeah. top of him? At least with a horse like Farmington Road, I can look at it and, and sleep well, whether the horse runs well or not, and get a piece of this thing and say, I was trying to turn, you know, apples into oranges. I was trying to really kind of spin some sort of a nice piece. But with Solo Volante, I'm not questioning his ability. I think he's a talented racehorse. I just don't know that there's necessarily – any inherent value in using him underneath unless you think he can win the whole thing. Anyone else you want to mention here? It sounds like for you, the race goes through the favorites is the law. Yeah, I just, I don't really have a, a ton to say. I do think pneumatic is a horse to keep an eye on going forward. I don't happen to love him in a spot like this, not just because of the outside draw, but I'm not sure that this race is necessarily, I don't know if he's ready for this level just yet, but yeah, for me, it's going to be fascinating to see. I guess outside of Tis the Law, the X factor in the race is Tappet to win if he's just a different racehorse because he did look so good. And I, I thought that race in the field that he ran against uh, at the beginning of June was a really top-level group of three-year-olds that could blossom into something down the road. So who knows? I mean, if he takes that next step forward, maybe he is the one that can just on the square beat a horse like Tis the Law. But as it stands, I just don't have much interest in trying to beat the big boy. Uh, let's go backwards because there. I think it's a better not betting opportunity here on this Belmont Card Day. Uh, there's it's a, it's not huge fields. Uh, a lot of the race I think are going to be dominated by favorites, but it's a mandatory payout here uh, late in the day. You're going to get opportunities to win, and I want to go just work backwards here in this late pick five uh, and go to the Jiper. They're going to sprint in race number nine on the turf. They drew a you know, moderate size field of seven and. Uh, there's a horse in here by the name of Hidden Scroll, who was you know the the freak of the year last year. Uh, they brought him back. They're putting him back on turf. He stumbled out of the gate last time as a three to one favorite in a field of nine. He's back in here for Bill Mott on turf. He's eight to one. If the internet bets Hidden Scroll here, like I think they're going to, I think there's opportunities to to bet against him here, Matt, and make some money in the Jiper. Who do you want to use as part of pick fives here? Yeah, you know, you brought up Hidden Scroll. I, I don't know what to do with this horse at this point. He's his own worst enemy toss in a him. number of situations. Toss, toss him. Come on. He can't. How can he stay? He's not going to win this race. Come on. I I, I'm not going to say that nearly as definitively as you are. Bill Mott's a lot smarter than I am. And if he sees fit to wheel him back in a grade one after he just dumped the rider in that most recent run, I, I got to believe there's something there for them to believe that he can do it. Having said that, I, I don't want any part of him. I think he's going to be overbet in a spot <laughs> like this. I, I just all I'm saying is I don't know. I, he might. Be I got you. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it's just a complete unknown. The horses that I've seen run that I'm most interested in, uh, as far as turf sprinters are concerned, I like Texas Wedge. Um, Peter Miller has a bit of a knack for these turf sprinters. He's done quite well with them in the past. And Texas Wedge, his return effort in the Daytona. There's a part of me that just. You know, he loomed up. He was wide throughout going five and a half out at Santa Anita. It looked like he was going to come with a big run down the lane, and he just kind of finished evenly. 
I can understand anyone that looks at it and says you want Stubbins out of that race because he had a little bit of traffic trouble. But to me, the six furlongs of this race could be a, a pretty drastic difference maker where I look at a horse like um, Pure Sensation who, you know, he's just a rock-solid veteran. He's, he's nine years old. He shows up and runs each and every time. I'm not convinced that he's as good at, against this caliber of runner at six furlongs. I think he's much more of a five, five-and-a-half type, whereas with Texas Wedge, I have a feeling the additional distance is only going to be to his benefit. I don't think he was entirely tightened up and ready to go for that Daytona. I feel like it was a means to an end to get him ready for a spot like this. Um, I don't think he's going to be any kind of awesome price, but he would be my top pick in this spot. Right, I like how you said that. Peter Mill has a knack for yeah winning big races. <laughs> I, I like how you sort of chuckled when you said that about Peter Miller. Uh, let's go back one to the grade one acorn. Uh, again, dominated by a couple of favorites here. It's going to go the mile. Baffert has the even money shot on the rail. Uh, Steve Asmussen has the horse casual out of the four hole who has run a couple of nice races to begin uh, her career. I probably would lean her way. Uh, given the way she's running those first two, what do you want to do here as simple as getting through with the two favorites in the pick five, Matt? Yeah, and honestly, I probably just simply because with a horse like Tis the Law possibly being the anchor, you know, in the payoff leg yeah. of this whole thing, you got to start making some stands. It's not that I don't like Gamine, but I've been really taken by casual. You know, she's got the pedigree up and down. Her dam was a grade one winner up at Saratoga in the test. Um, she's paired up by her tops of 90 in her first two starts. I like that she's won from a little bit farther off of it and pressing the pace. She's a fascinating sort of case study, though, because visually, I've liked everything I've seen. She's won while rallying wide. She's won down on the rail like she did in that most recent run. The concern with the most recent run from Churchill, the field that she beat that day has come back absolutely dreadful. The runner-up came back and earned a 71 buyer. The third-place finisher came back and earned a 44 buyer. You know, either you look at it and say the form is no good, she didn't beat anything, and now she's going to have to take on some real fillies. And I don't want to totally discredit a horse like Lucrezia. I think she's really talented, and she looks a heck of a lot better knowing what Swiss Skydiver has turned into in each of her past two starts. I just, I'm really taken by casual. I think visually she checks the boxes, and I'm willing to let my eye kind of guide me on this one. If if the race ends up being a bit of a bust, that Churchill race that she exits, so be it. I'll, I'll take my medicine and take my lumps. But I like everything I've seen. She goes out for top flight connections. Uh, I want to give her the, the nod over Gamine in the spot. Race 7 is one of these typical you know, great Belmont turf sprints. They're going to go six furlongs on the inner, and it's just a big, deep field. Uh, what do you want to do here? And what will be the second leg of this uh, pick five into the Belmont, Matt? Yeah, my big play in here is the three single verse. Uh, single verse goes out now for Rob Atras. Prior to this trainer change, went out for Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown's barn is not one that excels with turf sprinters. And typically, it's a little bit of a pet angle of mine. If I can find a horse that sort of bucks the trend of what the barn typically does or doesn't do well, I think that just is a feather in the cap of the horse. And this filly, she's only run on turf one time. She's been washed off on two other occasions. But that run in her second lifetime startup at Saratoga, she looked beautiful out there. She was sitting in the pocket, rounding the far turn. She put in her bid. She actually made the front and just got run down by Ava Kay's girl, who was on the also eligible list in this race on Saturday. I, to me, I think she has a ton of ability, and I get it. Some people are going to look at it and say, off the layoff. We've got some other horses that have got some recency edge on her. I just like that she has the ability to lay close to the pace if it's a little bit more moderate, or she can rally from two or three off of it if they do decide to throw it down. She's been honest as the day is long. I mean, she's five for six in the exact. I know she only has that one win, but um, I'm very taken by her. And like I said, that's that's the big piece to me. Look for 
when horses do things that the barn doesn't necessarily excel with, that to me signifies that you might have a, a pretty serious runner on your hands. And she should be a decent price. I believe she was eight to one on the morning line. Yeah. So I'll go with single verse in here. She's eight to one, and I'll mention one other eight to one shot. The number ten horse light in the sky. Horatio DePaz gets a hold of this one from Linda Rice and was bet a lot early in the career. Uh, has a win in a turf spin already. That was up at Saratoga in five and a half. Beat good credence to beat a couple of next out winners. I in that race with Jose Ortiz. Jose Jose Ortiz is back on in this one. So I'm with you. I'm going to try to find some prices here if we're going to go later uh, and try to get some favorites home. So I'll use your three and I'll use my 10 and we'll spread around. Then finally, it starts with the uh, Wonder again. Another one of these graded races, short field uh, on this Belmont day with uh, you know, a horse like Highland Glory, which looks uh, at least pretty tough on paper for Barkley Tag to start. It could have a bookend uh, Barkley Tag pick five here on Belmont Stakes Day. Yeah, I, I love Highland Glory. I mean, I've been taken by her ever since they got her to the turf. She's got the big pedigree top and bottom for grass. Um, the, the concern I have with her, and I, can, I guess I can say that really about everyone in this field outside of Sweet Melania and Antoinette, I don't know what the pace situation is going to look like. It feels like the shorter these fields get, the more murky the pace situation becomes because it turns into more of a rider's race. And I feel like Highland Glory is the kind of horse that really would appreciate them throwing it down early and I'm, I'm just not entirely convinced that's going to end up happening. Strictly from a talent standpoint, I, I think she's arguably the best in the field. Um, that Honey Rider most recently, she she had to check going into the first term pretty badly. Down the backside, she started to warm up a little bit, but then she needed to weave through traffic. By that point, Micheline, the horse that won that day at 17-1, to 1, kind of got the head start on her. So I don't think the race is as bad as it may look on paper. And that Sanibel Island two starts back, I just – her best ride was late. I think the longer they go with her, the better. I know this is a one-turn mile or one-and-a-half turn if you want, but um, I'll be very curious to see what the pace situation is. But I just I think the world of her, I think she's got a, a ton of ability. If you like Tis the Law late and you like uh, that horse early, you can really spread out, make an opportunity here. Again, it's a mandatory payout in this pick five on Belmont Stakes Day. Matt, I, I know you track the three-year-olds hey, better than anyone in the country that, that I follow on social media and I get a chance to talk to. Give me a couple down the road here. It's a weird year. The Derby's September, uh, the Preakness a month later. Give me some three-year-olds you're excited to see, and they may actually pop up here in the next couple of weeks. you got the Ohio Derby. You had the Bluegrass. You have all these derbies popping up. The Travers will be a prep uh, for the Derby. Give us two or three three-year-olds uh, right now you're excited about the rest of the way. Well, I think everyone saw what Honor AP did a couple of weeks oh, yeah. ago in Santa Anita Derby. He's a horse that you have to put on your short list. He has the connections, obviously. John Sheriff knows how to train a derby runner, and, and you got Mike Smith aboard as well. But he, he just looks like a classic type. He looks like a mile-and-a-quarter type that'll just run all day. So not really breaking any news there. I've always been interested in a horse called Mystic Guide, who actually ran second in that N1X that we were talking about, that Tap at the Win exits. Tap at the Win was able to shake clear. That was Mystic Guide's first time shipping away from the fairgrounds. And, you know, I, I, he was a little bit green, keeping in mind it's a one-turn configuration. He's one to me that I think he's going to want to go longer. Uh, he's got the pedigree to suggest that added distance is only going to be his friend. I wouldn't give up on him just yet. And if you're looking for another sort of, you know, let's call him a kind of a buzzy type of horse, last weekend Bob Baffert unveiled uh, a very green horse but a very talented horse. His name is Uncle Chuck. And he's the son of Uncle Mo. The pedigree is there as far as distance is concerned. He debuted going two turns. Uh, and I believe he earned a 95 buyer in his first time start. So he's going to be the kind of horse that I think you keep an eye on going forward. And it'll be very telling what Baffert decides to do with him, simply because, look, there's got to be a reason that he debuted as late as he did. Typically, we'd be looking at it saying it's a red flag that he didn't get onto the track in the afternoon until early June. 
but this year is a bit of an anomaly. It's an oddity, and everything is going to look a little bit different this year. I think he was very green, which is not typical of Baffert runners. I wonder if you try to get an allowance race into him before you throw him into the deep end, but he's another one of those types that it just the, the talent seems like it's there in spades. So uh, those would be three names that I wouldn't totally write off just yet as far as the three-year-olds are concerned. Where can people get your stuff this weekend, Matt? They're looking for plays, looking for picks, a two-day pick five, Friday to Saturday, full card racing on Saturday. Where can they find you besides Matt underscore Bernie or on Twitter? Yeah, you can head on over to racingpicks.com. We've got a new thing going on over there just throughout the week. Uh, I'm on Wednesday through Sunday. There'll be some spot plays across the country, typically three to four of them a day. The Saturday picks are going to be up in videos. Got five of them this week. Most of them are the races that we discussed, but also a horse based out in California. And I'll just kind of just tip it off right now. I hope, I pray, pray, pray that they don't stretch him out in distance again because he's running in the last Barrera on Saturday. I think you can make an argument that a horse called Collusion Illusion for Mark Glatt is as talented a sprinter for the three-year-olds as there are. And guess what? I think it's a pretty darn good group of three-year-old sprinters just in general across the board. I think Collusion Illusion is a horse that you got to keep an eye on. If you haven't seen him yet, go back and watch his return to the races last month. He was spectacular, and he destroyed a horse, an older horse, that came back and won a stakes race with a 94 buyer. So Collusion Illusion, keep an eye on him. But in general, racingpicks.com, and like you say on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I wish Matt Mark Gladstone was the Woody Stevens. Mark, let's go. Get him out I of the know. barn. We've got a grade one with five entrants at the beginning of this card on Saturday. We'll save that for another I know. time. Uh, NBC Sports, <laughs> the Matt Bernier Show, obviously on uh, podcast everywhere, on YouTube, racingpicks.com. Matt, excellent analysis. We'll recap this in a little bit. We appreciate the time as always, man. Good luck this weekend. Anytime, Mike. Well, if you look at the ROIs of our handicappers on these podcasts, we've been doing them now for well over 10 years, uh, these Triple Crown podcasts and uh, these uh, tri- Breeders' Cup podcasts, racing-wise, on WEEI.com. There's no doubt that Dick Girardi uh, has the highest strike rate. And obviously, you guys know Dick. He's worked for the Daily Racing Forum, Philadelphia Daily News, uh, a great sports writer, great handicapper. Now he's with us, courtesy uh, BetOnline.ag. And the handicapping showed off this past November. Uh, Dick, good afternoon. How are you, buddy? I'm great, Mike. Yourself? Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, we'll get to the Belmont, but we have not talked. You joined us prior to Breeders' Cup, obviously, for our podcast. And then I'm watching the BCBC, which is the, one of the best live money handicapping tournaments in the country. It's not cheap to enter. you got to be very, very good. And there I see there, like Friday into Saturday, Dick Girardi's name pop up. You ran third third in one of the best handicapping tournaments in the country. You saw you came over with a bunch of money. There's got to be a story. There's got to be a race there, one race that put you in a spot to uh, collect third in one of the best handicapping tournaments in the world. Yeah, it was interesting. I I couldn't get anything right on Friday. Uh, I had like half my bankroll on Saturday, and I was trying to get to the horse I liked most. Fun to run in the dirt mile. It was 10 to 1, but I didn't have enough money to, like, win the contest. So I hit the exacta there. That got me some cash. I hit the exacta in the sprint. That got me a little more cash. And then I was able to take, like, four different shots down the stretch at, a, at, a, at winning the contest. And the one I hit big was the turf at a $2,000 cold exacta. Uh, even money shot over a 50 to one shot. It paid 137. <laughs> so, so the 2,000 became 137,000, and that got me to vaulted me from I don't know 200th to the first. I actually had a $60,000 lead going into the last race, and then got passed by uh, two players in the last race on the classic. 
That is an unbelievable story. Uh, do you, you play yeah. when you play in the tournament, Dick? Do you play by yourself? Do you play with the group? How, how do you go about that? And are you focusing more on tournaments? Uh, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a, a great friend of mine who I met in the Salima room at the Bowie Library in the seventies. We were both researching buyer speed figures. Not long after Andy wrote his first book, Picking Winners, we were kind of new to the game, young guys just out of school. And and his name is Ray Tannehill. We played together forever, played contests, played Penn National. He really got me interested in the Breeders' Cup contest. Unfortunately, Ray passed away in 2015. But between the two of us, we put together a group. Uh, he and I ran it, and now I've been running it. So, yeah, I, I do have a group of friends who, who have a, a, a small percentages of the action. So, yeah, I got to share it with a bunch of them, and a bunch of them were with me at San Anita. So, yeah, it was some scene. We come really close oh. the year before. Uh, I, I lost a race by about a half a length. I think if I wanted, I would have won the contest. Then this year I ended up winning the thing by about a neck. You remember the turf. Uh, United was the 50-to-1 shot for Dick Mandela, who took the lead in the stretch. And then bricks and mortar came and got him in like the last 20 yards. And I had 2,000 on it one way and nothing the other way. <laughs> that is a great That is a great story, and it just proves once again uh, what's why this game – Brings us back. Every, you win a race, you feel good. You lose a race, you can't wait to dig yep. back in uh, to the next one. Dick, it's a great story. Congratulations. And hopefully we can find something like that on this Belmont card. Uh, we just talked to Matt Bernie, our mutual friend. And, yep. you know, unfortunately, we, I think at least on paper, it's hard to knock Tiz the Law. He's a great horse. Sacatoga Stables, who you're very familiar with there. Uh, and they have a great horse. But in this field, he looks like if he runs his race, He's going to be tough to beat. That's the way Matt and I see it. What do you think about Tis the Law as a standout favorite in the Belmont Stakes? No question. He's the horse to beat, the most likely winner. Um, he really should be 5-for-5. Five five. The race he lost in Kentucky, he was really unlucky to lose that. I like the post position. Obviously, I like the connections, the funny side connections. And a couple issues I would have. One, I, I know horses run off long layoffs, but boy, you don't often see a 3-year-old off a March to June layoff. Uh, but because of the circumstance, Barkley didn't have a choice because nobody knew when any of these races were gonna, even going to yeah. be run. So that's a little bit of a concern. And the price. I mean, it's going to be a terrible price. And it, I think there's probably only one horse that can beat him. Uh, I thought Tap at the Wins race in that allowance at Belmont when he, when he won 39 and a fifth was just or 139 and three fifths, excuse me, was the best race I saw by a three-year-old all year. I thought it was awesome, better than like the Arkansas Derby split. I just thought it was sensational. And I th- this is a horse, uh, Mike, I liked last year. And when I saw him win his maiden at Saratoga, and I said, man, that's my derby horse. Then he runs two races that were so bad, I'm going, have I lost my mind? <laughs> it turned out he was hurt. That's why he ran so poorly. His two races this year have been great. I think he's the speed. The only other horse with any speed at all is the six four left. I'm going to take Tap at the win to try to beat uh, Tis the Law. Not because I don't think Tis the Law is the best horse. I do think that. But I think Tap at the win has a little bit of a tactical advantage, especially if Johnny can get him loose on the lead. And that's the question, right? So four left comes in. No one expected him to run this race. Came over from Dubai. Nope. He's got yep. he's got to go to the front. And my worry was. You know, there'd be some sort of speed duel for Tappet to win, who has really blossomed in these last couple of races. And I wondered, how, how do you avoid that battle? If four left has to go, 
can, can Tapa to win in your mind? Can he sit off four left, or is he going to go from that rail and just say, you know what, we win it on the front end or we don't win this thing? Yeah, I think he can sit, but I think the reality is they're going to go because you have that inside spot, and I think Johnny would like to clear rather than have to drop back and go around. Yeah, four left has almost no chance to win, but he's got a chance to irritate others, including me, in this circumstance. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'd rather not have seen him in the race because he's not going to take any money anyway. He wasn't going to change the price on Tappet to win that much. Um, and, look, Doug O'Neill's an aggressive trainer. But my suspicion is, look, that these jockeys, Johnny V and Jose Ortiz, they share the same jocks room. I know people don't really know this, but jocks do talk. And and often in this circumstance, what you'll see is whichever one gets the better break will leave, and the other one will just, like, lurk. They, they're not going to go out there and go 22 and 45 and battle each other. I don't see that happening with two really smart veteran jockeys. Well, so to that end, it sounds like you're you're going to look at Tappet to win. You like Tis the Law. How about underneath? I mean, there's some other prices in here. Farmington Road for Pletcher, Max Player, who we haven't spent a lot of time on this podcast yet, talking about coming back for Linda. There's a lot thought about him. If you're looking at you know building trifecta tickets and you think that Tappet to win is going to be there and Tis the Law is obviously on paper really good, who are the price sources, Dick, or who do you want to use underneath to try to get into second and third to build out those try tickets? Yeah, I, I like Max Player's numbers, the way they're going, 60, 72, 86. The problem is 1st of February. And he got he, he just, unfortunately, for Linda Rice and the connections, they just got caught up in the no racing in the Northeast Corridor. Nothing they could do. I mean, they don't want to come in here off no race at the 1st of February, obviously. So that's a concern. I think Dr. Post is the improving horse. I really I liked his last race. Uh, I think he'll probably they got I see five on the line. Maybe he goes a little higher depending on how how much pounding tis the law takes. And the other horse's last race that I really like was Pneumatic, the ten. If Maxfield had not gotten hurt and they had chosen to run here, I don't think they were going to run here anyway. I think they're going to run at the Bluegrass. I think he'd have been clearly the second choice in here. And Pneumatic was only beaten a length and three quarters in the mat win to Maxfield. And he's 10. He's at, I think he's probably going to be about 10. So I would give him a real chance to hit the board somewhere. I'm like at like a 1, 8, 9, 10, something in that ballpark. So we've always told people when we do this Belmont podcast, Dick, we try to remind them, you know, at Belmont, it's, it's, not, it's not for – everyone thinks a mile and a half, you want closers. So it's not a mile and a half, it's a mile and an eighth. What would you tell people about – betting these mile-and-an-eighth races. This will be the first mile-and-an-eighth dirt race they've had at Belmont all year. They don't run many of them besides the Peter Pan and the Bell Dame and a couple others. What do you tell people about the way the track is set up in that long run into the one turn? What's the running style you're looking for here? Yeah, I'd rather be close always. I mean, that's just generally how I play. I just think it's the better place to be. There's less trouble. There's less chances for trouble. I do not like deep closers unless I'm seeing a race where there's a really hot pace. I do not see the hot pace in here. So, yeah, I'm looking for somebody close. Um, and it is, a, as you mentioned, like it's a one-turn mile and an eighth because Belmont Park is a mile-and-a-half racetrack. It's not like a typical mile track where they start at the eighth pole, hit the finish line, and run around again. So it's that incredibly long run down to, to, to the far turn and then those sweeping turns. And, boy, if Tap at the Wind gets the similar situation he did in that allowance race, man, he is going to be very, very hard to catch. Uh, 
And I'm hoping that's what happens. Again, I hope maybe four left has a little bit of a, maybe a little temperature on Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, I don't ever wish ill will. I certainly don't want any horse to get hurt. We've had, oh, well, listen, no, you're not, you're joking with that's happened quite a bit. A long shot the day of the race, they go, ah, you know what? We could, we could point to the Ohio Derby in a week or what two. We, we could do something here? else. Yeah. You know, we could scratch yeah, out. Absolutely. I mean, so not, yeah. not a crazy thought. And we should yeah. make that note. Yeah. If, if four left comes out, then tap at the oh, wind's going to lead by himself. No question. Then there's no doubt he's loose in the lead. There's not even a question. And if it wasn't Doug, Doug is a real aggressive trainer. And I mean, he says Southern California is where he's trained, where speed is everything. And I know that's his thought. He wants to go. Uh, but I, I'm not even sure four left is, fa- is fast enough to go with tap at the win if they both go. But that's to be determined at the first couple hundred yards on Saturday. Yeah, I want to handicap a couple races, then talk to you about some some racing stuff in the Triple Crown. I, I want to go to the, to the second race. They're going to come right out of the gate here with the grade one Winnie Stevens. And you say, boy, why are they wanting a grade one race at 1225 in the afternoon? Well, because they got the field came up so short here. It's a five horse field. Normally, Dick, as you know, th- this is a great race because the Derby also runs. They cut back. Yep. These these, these yep. owners, they got derby eyes. They got triple crown eyes with fast sprinting horses, and they wheel back in the Woody Stevens, and there's great betting opportunities. It's a five-horse field. What do you want to do here in the first grade one of the day before you sat down for lunch someplace and you got a grade one on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's evenly matched. The, the one, two, three, four all have similar numbers. Now, I'm, I'm going to show a little local bias here. Uh, Mischievous Alex, since he got the blinkers three races ago, it's been a completely different horse. Uh, this is the Cassius King, Chuck Sackney, the guy who uh, was yeah. the main owner of a fleet Alex and Glenn Bennett of LC racing, both Philly guys. And of course, John service, nobody needs any introduction to him. And Kendrick Carmouche, who also made his, uh, uh, really made his career at parks. I think this is the, the improving horse. He's been beautifully managed. They, they already have enough derby points if they want to end up going in the Derby. But what the plan is, is to run here. And they could have run in the Belmont, but they said, now let's let's just see about longer later. So they'll run here. If they like how he runs, they're going to run him in the Haskell. And if he runs well, they're going to go for the Derby. John Service had told me he doesn't think the horse wants to go much more than a mile. Uh, but if he runs big here, they're going to try for it. But not an easy race. By any means, no parole, Maru, Echo Town, all solid. I can't get a real good sense, Mike, of how the race is going to be run since there's so many similar running styles. But I do know with Mischievous Alex, he is versatile. He doesn't need the lead. And I think if there's a pace, he could sit third or even fourth and come running. It's funny. Uh, I looked at this and I... I've never met a cutback I didn't want to bet, so I'm going to end up on shoplifted uh, trying to cut back for Steve Asmussen, but you're right. this is a, It's a short field. This is not the normal Woody Stevens we're used to. Um, and it, I guess one of the real fallbacks of COVID-19, I mean, this is a, you know, this card itself, usually, Dick, is one of these race cards you can't wait to dive into, and it's yep. it, this is no one's fault, but this, this doesn't feel like a Belmar card when you start handicapping through it. Right. They, they moved the Met Mile later because they just didn't think they would get the right field for it. And I understand because, yeah. again, nobody even knew this day was coming until Governor Cuomo said, what, about a month ago now that the racetrack had opened on June 1st. So there was no date for the Belmont Stakes. So I think Naira has done the best in an impossible situation to give us what they're giving us on Saturday. Uh, how about a couple races later? It's the fourth race, the Grade 2 Penine Ridge, the go a mile on the turf. Uh, Christophe Clement has a, I think, a budding three-year-old and decorated invader, six to five on the morning line. What do you want to do in the fourth leg of this early pick five, Dick? 
Yeah, I made a pretty significant bet on him in the Breeders' Cup uh, juvenile turf last year. And I remember I sent, a, I sent a text to Terry Finley, who owns him with West Point Thoroughbred after. I said, man, you were like five legs the best. He had so much trouble in that race. And, and then when he came back, he was great in his comeback race at Gulfstream. I think he's a potential, like, major three-year-old grass star. And, yeah, I think it's going to be very hard for anybody to beat Decorated Invader. And, of course, he's got a great trainer, one of the best out there in, in Christophe Clement. He's out to a great start this spring at Belmont, almost 25%. I'm with you. I'm going to use him uh, probably as a lone A in that early pick five. Uh, about this triple crown, dig. I mean, you you followed this game for a long time. You've written about it at the <laughs> highest levels. What do you make of a mile and an eighth Belmont, a Derby September, and a Preakness there in Maryland that might end up being the final leg of the Triple Crown here? Yeah, it, it's uh, look, it fits in 2020, right? Nothing is as it normally <laughs> would right. be. Uh, the last race is first. The longest race is the shortest. Um, three races, not in five weeks, but in 15 weeks. Yeah, I, I don't, none of us really know what to make of it. Um, this is not a very strong Belmont. And I think one of the reasons is obviously we had some horses get hurt, like Nadal and Maxfield. And, and we also, um, I think there's a lot of horses that normally would be in this race that because it came up so late, they couldn't really prepare for it, which I, I think is going to make the Derby really strong in, in September because we're going to have horses that, I mean, that barely even run yet, they're going to show up. Uh, so it's just we're going to have to just take it as it comes. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to being in uh, in my hometown in October and actually being able to go to a race and eat some crabs, crab cakes, and crab soup. That's what I'm looking for. I, I am hoping that you'll be, we'll be allowed to be at sporting events in October. We all are. Uh, yeah. T- tell me, tell sure. me what's Baltimore like in October because they've not played a lot of playoff baseball games at Camden Yards the last couple of years, Dick. No, they have not. No, it's – it's not so similar to New England. It's just it's fall. You could get one of those Indian summer days. It could be 75, 80 degrees. It could be perfect. Or you could get really unlucky. Like, remember what happened to Monmouth Park at the Breeders' Cup that year? Every oh. weekend, that whole fall was great, except the weekend they had the races at Monmouth when it was a deluge. So, yeah, it's, it's not going to be 90 degrees, but there's every chance it could be very nice and Man, are we due for three triple grand races without rain? We haven't had one. We haven't had one of those years in a while. Well, you got to remind yourself if this is a normal Derby year, this would basically be March. So it's still early in the process, but we are lucky to have oh. Dick Girardi with us uh, as we pick through the first leg of the Triple Crown. It'll be the Belmont Stakes. It'll become up Saturday afternoon. NBC got a lot of coverage for it. And of course, Dick, courtesy today of our great friends at BetOnline.ag, they're always giving us great odds on this stuff, including odds to uh, win the Triple Crown this year. Their odds on the Belmont Stakes. You just got to go to BetOnline.ag and get all the odds for a bunch of good stuff. And, and Jimmy's been good to us and nice enough to hook us up with Dick uh, to pick through this race, Dick. We certainly appreciate it. I hope you have a score like Breeders' Cup Day uh, out there on Saturday. And uh, we appreciate the time, as always, to put us uh, our listeners on some winners here. Thank you. You got it, Mike. It's always great talking to you. All right. A deep dive as you're going to get on the Belmont Stakes card on Saturday uh, in Elmont, New York. Weather looks fine. Not an issue there. Should be fast and firm. Not a fast and firm triple crown run starting for a mile and an eighth uh, to start this thing. Not the Derby, not the Preakness, but the Belmont. Uh, and obviously talking to Dick and Matt, they both have you know similar thoughts. Uh, Matt Bernier likes uh, Tis the Law, the favorite. He wants to use Farmington Road. The five horse, who is 15-1 on the morning line in exactus, try to play the race that way. Dick Girardi thinks the only horse that can beat Tis the Law uh, will be, in fact, uh, the rail horse, Tap It to Win, who has run two back-to-back races here since he came back off the layoff, had not raced since October. 
uh, and two uh, great races, uh, both at Gulfstream and Belmont Park. He's 6-1 on the morning line. He'll probably be shorter, but uh, Dick made a good point. Uh, may have the front end to himself. We'll see. Uh, I think Tis the Law is the most likely winner. Uh, I will use it as an A in pick fives and pick fours and pick threes. Uh, but the horse that I'm going to pick in this race is Dr. Post. We talked both Dr. Post with Dick and Matt on the podcast today. I'll give you the reasons I like him. Certainly sounds like more than the other guys liked him. Uh, in his debut at Belmont, he ran into a huge field. Uh, it was actually a year ago, July 4th, at Belmont. He was the big favorite that day. He ran into Green Light Go, another miracle. Two very good two-year-olds, and Green Light Go has you know, gone on before an injury. He was one of the really good three-year-olds and was off until March. So basically off nine months, came back, ran a 96 buyer speed figure, uh, beating Sir Con and Nocturnal at Gulfstream Park at seven furlongs. They stretched him out to a mile and a 16th. The buyer speed was not great, but uh, he got a really good education that day. He had a sit and bind horses. He was tight. He rated off the speed. This guy's a son of quality road, handled by Todd Pletcher, who's won this race a million times. I think just like Tis the Law, he's a chance to sit off the pace, and I just feel like he might be a fresher horse at this point. He raced in April. They pointed him here. He gets Irad Ortiz. He's going to be 5 or 6-1. to one. Uh, I think this is a horse right now that offers the most value of the Belmont field, so because of that, I'm going to pick Dr. Post on top. He'll be my other A uh, in all the pick fives and the pick threes and, and all the picks and the mandatory pick five for sure is a, race, uh, a sequence that I'll be involved in uh, using both Dr. Post and uh, using uh, Tis the Law. So I'll use the eight and nine as A's as backups there. As a horse, I'll use uh, as backups in the pick five, but also use in exactus and trifectas. I'll use Tappet to win. I'll use Max Player. Uh, I'll use Modernist. I'll use Farmington Road. Probably end up using those four. Solo Volante, who is, I know he's a closer. I just think he had such a good setup last time, and I'm probably, I'm on the fence with him right now as of taping this on Thursday afternoon. He's not a horse I'm going to use in exactus for sure, but I, I, I might be silly to leave him out of trifectas if I like a horse like Max Player at 15-1. to 1. But the two keys for me will be Dr. Post and Tis the Law, but my top two will be Dr. Post the 9 over Tis the Law the 8. Uh, I'll have picks on a bunch of these races on social media this weekend, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow along at Mutt, W-E-E-I. Uh, and the plan is this. The Winners Club back. Uh, sports comes back. This podcast is back with Shime and Anderson, those two lunatics. Shime's betting every single week on ridiculous stuff. Anderson is worshiping the altar uh, of Kyle Shanahan. So we'll be back as baseball comes back, knock on wood. Basketball, the football season, obviously. This podcast is going nowhere. So if you like it, subscribe. If you're listening, Thank you. Leave a five-star review. Our buddy Shime likes that. He likes to see the reviews. Let's send us pictures of the reviews. If we give you winners, okay, specifically this, not me, but if Bernie or Dick Girardi give you winners, leave a five-star review. How simple is that? You're not paying for this. It's free. So leave a five-star review. And if I stink, send me a message on Twitter, on Instagram, M-U-T. Uh, W-E-E-I. We thank Matt Bernier. We thank Dick Girardi, both those guys joining us. Thank Chris Shine putting the open together. And our guy Ben Charleston, my producer on Mud at Night, helping us out with the podcast as well. Enjoy, I'll say it, but it doesn't feel like it, Belmont Stakes weekend this weekend. All the races on TV this Saturday. Bet with your head, not over it. Enjoy it. We'll be back at some point here this summer talking more racing in the craziest sports calendar year of our lifetime 2020, it rolls on. It's Winner's Club here on WEEI.com.